Hey, everybody, and welcome to topic number two, the Rollins Band. I'm here with uh, Randy, and uh, we're going to launch into this episode talking about Henry Rollins' post-Black Flag career. And uh, this is in time for the month of Rollins' birthday. Yeah. So we're celebrating late, late, a late birthday for Henry Rollins. Before we get into that, I just want to run through everything, all the preliminary work on it. If you're a fan of health and fitness and good, clean living, you can go to On It through the portals provided on the Everything Went Black Media website. Just head on over to, head on over to everythingwentblackmedia.com, and there's two portals, one for exercise equipment and one for supplements. Both of those things I incorporate pretty much in my everyday life, uh, be it the supplements such as krill oil, um, MCT oil, all that sort of business, as well as the unconventional training equipment like uh, maces, kettlebells, battle ropes, all that kind of stuff. Secondly, we have Savage Gold Coffee. And by now, everyone out there should know that's my coffee company. Go to savagegoldcoffee.com and uh, you can... Actually, everything's back in stock. I know there's been a problem with keeping things in stock lately. Um, but yeah, you can go to the site. There's a bunch of stuff in stock. If you do not want to go to the site and you're a Amazon Prime member, you can buy all the products online with Amazon and um, enjoy the discount on shipping and all that sort of stuff. One other um, aside with the Savage Gold business is recently we have the Truth Awakener uh, coffee collaboration with Zayo, and that is available exclusively through Holy Mountain Printing. That's uh, Toombs' partner for merchandise and T-shirts and all that sort of stuff. And um, if you're interested in checking out this exclusive blend that's limited and is going to be selling out very soon, head on over to HolyMountainPrinting.com and you can uh, order a bag of that. Really cool, really cool coffee. The blend is good. I totally back it. Now, another really cool thing is uh, March 1st, my radio show on Gimme Radio is going to be dropping. The show is called The Sacred and Profane. I'll be doing four shows a month. Uh, if you're not, you're not familiar with what Gimme Radio is, it's a brand new streaming music site. And uh, I know that sounds uh, sort of like blasé these days, but it's the closest thing you're going to get to listening to live radio as it happens. So you go to the website, gimmeradio.com, or you can download the app onto your mobile device and 24 seven you've got music curated by some of the hot names in uh, extreme music like Mike Hill, <laughs> Dave Mustaine, uh, Albert Mudrian, the famous um, publication and publisher of Decibel magazine. I think uh, who else we got over there? Uh, oh, Randy Blythe um, from, uh, Lamb of God, <laughs> burn the priest. Yeah, for burn the priest, and um, yeah, what was that fucking band? I have to cut this out. But what, what's the name of Randy's band again? Lamb of God. Oh, yeah, Randy Blythe from Burn the Priest or Lamb of God for you new jacks. <laughs> but yeah, it's really cool. It's like um, you just check it out, and uh, my show will be starting up in uh, in March, and um, once again, it's called Sacred in the Profane, and Sacred in the Profane. And um, so, yeah, there we go. By the way, Randy, our partner Randy over here, is uh, are the new bass player in Tombs. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Randy? 
Uh, yeah, pretty pretty stoked, man. <laughs> First rehearsal uh, went pretty well, I thought. And, uh, excited to get out there and start hammering away. Yeah. And um, for all you Tombs fans out there, there's also we're, we're going to be announcing some uh, some tour dates. We got some short, you know, run of dates coming up. And um, you Southern Canadians out there, I've been getting a lot of emails uh, regarding for the last year when we're going to be going back to Southern Canada. For you guys, I think we got a little something for you coming up. So stay tuned. To talk a little bit. Yeah. Hopefully I can get into Canada, you know. Hopefully I can get into Canada, you know, all my legal issues, all the drug issues. Hopefully I can get in there. I just want to check. All right, so I mentioned before, this episode of Topic is going to be focused on the post-black flag career of Henry Rollins. Now, were you one of those guys, Randy, who, um, you know, over, over the years, there, there's been like two camps in the punk rock world regarding Black Flag. And uh, they're the haters of Henry Rollins. You know, there's these guys who will say things like uh, they like Keith Morris, you know, as the, their favorite singer. When, you know, these guys get together with their little buddies at the <laughs> DIY show, you know, and they're like drinking, drinking bottles of beer, you know, yeah, yeah. In, in paper bags. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, I don't like Henry Rollins. My favorite singer is, uh, is Keith. You know, Keith's awesome, but I can't say that he's my favorite singer on Black Flag. No, me neither. Uh no, I'm a, I'm a Rollins guy all the way when it comes to Flag. I like the other singers. Uh, Keith Morris is cool in Black Flag. Dez was cool. Ron Reyes, I honestly, not a big fan of. It's uh, it's okay. I mean, the guy sang on like a handful of songs, and people like hold him up there because he was the original singer. But I got into uh, Black Flag uh, through the Rollins stuff. Yeah. And then I kind of went back. And to me, when I went back, the stuff without Rollins sounded weak. I agree with that. And it's not even really so much about maybe Henry Rollins as the vocalist. I mean, that's a huge component to it. But also, I feel like the music was more interesting and Henry was in the band. Um, you know, the oh, yeah. you know, Damaged is probably, even though like a, lot of those, that, a lot of that material on that record was written with the other singers, that was kind of the beginning. Though that is kind of like the quintessential hardcore album. Sure. Yeah. It is the beginning of where you start seeing uh, the more sort of progressive, abstract elements of the band rearing its head, you know, in, in, in songs like Life of Pain. You know, that intro, intro is that slow, right. dirty, Sabbath-esque intro is something that really, besides from bands like Flipper, you really weren't seeing stuff like that, really. And that was kind of like, you know, me associating... Rollins joined the Rollins era with that progression in music. And and I love Keith Morris. I think he's great in the Circle Jerks and Off, I think, is a, is a pretty intense live band. You know, and, and, and I like, you know, Revenge is cool, Ron Reyes singing. And uh, I would say Dez is probably my second favorite singer in the band. I, I Maybe I like him a little bit better on the hardcore stuff. But, um, but Henry was always just more, yeah, this kind of, creepy Manson-esque <laughs> presence in the band and the band was going in for more of like this abstract like evil hippie kind of vibe yeah. you know towards the end and that was like really the kind of thing that attracted me to the band you know? yeah I mean as great as Damaged is and it's great I mean 
uh, I, I once again, I, I, the first Black Flag record I got was uh, My War. So I kind of started after that transition to the dirgier kind of stuff uh, came. So, yeah, there's definitely hints of that on Damaged. A lot of Damaged is, you know, re-recordings of older songs with Rollins, who I think, you know, delivers those songs way better, with much more power. But, yeah, and even on uh, like Damaged Part 1 and 2, like there's some of that weird, dirgy, slow stuff creeping in there. But And then from my war on, man, it just kind of it gets more interesting to yeah. me, in my opinion. And, and you know, make no mistake, make no mistake about it. I, I think you know, it's the the real lion's share of the creativity in that band. Obviously, is Greg Ginn. But if they had a different singer trying to do that material, I don't think it would have had the same impact. And that's why I attribute a lot of that success of that material to Henry Rollins's involvement in it. You know, and then of course after the band dissolves, uh, shortly after the release of In My Head um, and some touring through that uh next thing you know we got henry rollins doing his own thing yeah and pretty much like almost immediately because i think flag didn't black flag break up in like 1987 and then yeah. suddenly rollins has like three albums out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah three or four depending you know if you want to trust the 1987 number or not seems like crazy you know in the world we live in today for someone to release four things uh in one year and have them all be viable. Not many people do that anymore, you know. But not many people are Rollins, you know. He's the uh, the drill sergeant of music. Yeah. So, but it didn't start out right away with like what I consider to be the um, classic, Henry, you know, Rollins band lineup with Chris Haskett, Sim Kane, and Andrew no. Weiss. There was like, uh, you know, I'm not gonna say there there was some preliminary proto versions of the band which were on uh, Drive-By Shooting and Henrietta Collins and the child-beating wife-haters, or wife-beating child-haters. Yes, and Hot Animal Machine. Hot Animal the, Machine. Those two records were the other rhythm section of uh, Mick Green on drums and Bertie Wandell on bass. Yeah, and Haskett was the only common denominator between yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, you know, from some of the reading that I've done, uh, you know, that immediately they went on tour in Europe. Like that was kind of like the big yeah. thing. It was like, okay, we got these records, let's go to Europe, and they went over for like you know, months. Right. You know, not just like you know nowadays. You know, the, you know, bands get together. All right, we'll do a three week tour in Europe. You know, we'll play like <laughs> two weeks in Germany and like show in London, and you know maybe go to Sweden and play like a you know go down to Madrid or whatever. But that, these guys went out and did like. I don't know, like nine weeks or something yeah, across. That's like, pretty intense. Man. Every that's... city you could possibly imagine, like the cities you never go to, like Potsdam in Germany <laughs> or, you know, uh, Dresden or places like that. That you know, Warsaw, like sea places. markets. Yeah, really, just <laughs> barely. You know, let's let's remember this is the late '80s. This isn't. This is way before the European Union, and there's East and West Germany, and there's large you know a big communist vibe in all of europe and uh you know just in my own personal experience having toured there right after uh the unification of germany um you can the the echoes of that whole thing went way into the 21st century you know even like having toured in europe right before say poland joined the eu right you know back then in in, in the 80s the 
resources that were available to do shows and to put on these events and things like that and organization and this is all before the internet too you know it was like a pretty baffling mind expanding experience because you take a guy who was in a band that was successful in the way that independent music was successful i mean black flag you know created the sort of routes that independent bands were able to do after that they were trailblazers and sort of pioneers in touring and a lot of that um overseas i feel like a lot of those um venues and and you know methods were still in the infancy of of being able to do so you know here you go you get a guy puts together puts together a band <laughs> puts together a bunch of songs you know releases like you know these eps basically right and that you know that split with gore which yeah, is which like is a live live just yeah. live stuff you know right. what i mean um and then just books a couple of flights uh con probably contacts some dude via writing him a letter you know what i mean <laughs> and just trust and trust yeah. and then embarks <laughs> on this odyssey across europe you know and uh hoping for the best you know and that that's kind of like the point i'm trying to make about this it's like you know i feel like you know ronald's birthday just happened right and you know there's all people some people celebrating it and like oh yeah happy birthday you know henry rollins 213 but then you know of course there's these legions of people out there that are um haters of henry rollins and glenn danzig two guys who are like yeah. you know two of my biggest you know influences you know when it comes to uh maybe the way i do things or maybe the sort of um you know early in my life giving me the the sort of inspiration to attack things you know, with a lot of intensity. But the undeniable fact is that you can't detract from this sort of uh, motivation to express yourself that a guy like Henry Rollins has. I mean, I defy anybody out there in 1987 to do something <laughs> like this. You know what I'm trying to say? And I think yeah, that, that yeah, of course. the impact, the power of that is lost when we're just retelling it in the context of 2018. Where it's like, you know, you can just pick up your phone and you can, uh, what, what's that? There's like an app you can use that, that like you could talk to somebody or text someone like in Europe or whatever. It's like, right. you know, you can, you can Skype with somebody in Europe anytime. You can organize stuff across like the whole world. It's all at your fingertips. All this, not, all this you know, data and access and everything. And people forget that back in 1987, none of this stuff existed. You couldn't even, you had to like, to make a phone call to Europe was like expensive and sometimes cost prohibitively expensive on a tight budget like that these guys are operating under. Right. You had to send a letter, sending mailing, mailing things to people, writing letters. There was no email. There was no Facebook. There was no... No cell phones. No cell phones. So on an independent level to have something like this happen is, is a pretty daunting task for anybody. And I think that that right there is like one of the reasons why I think, you know, Henry Rollins needs to have like a place in the pantheon of some of the greats in independent music. I agree. Not, not to take anything away from Danzig at all, but I think the reason, I think one of the reasons a lot of people, uh, you know, talk shit on Rollins or don't like him or whatever is because of the work ethic, because it scares them because they don't have it, you know? And 
I mean, I certainly don't have the work ethic of a Henry Rollins, but I look to that for inspiration. Yeah. You know, and if, if maybe if more people did that and got off their ass and tried to emulate that instead of just sitting around like slagging on someone who's actually doing something, you know, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. A lot of the Rollins haters. Cause you know, the guy, I mean, he wasn't just a singer for black flag and the Rollins band, man. The guy is a publisher, a writer, yeah. an actor, a radio host, activist, yeah. fitness freak. I mean, can <laughs> go on and on and on. Like how many people can put that on their resume? Um, that they've done half of that or a quarter of that. Well, the acting is like, uh, you know, that, that's, that's been like a slow rise for him, really. I mean, sure, sure. You know, I mean, but yeah, still, I mean, he says it himself. He's like, I either he gets offered these roles, he knows he's not a great actor, he admits that, he but he'd rather do that than bad groceries. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. so would I, man. Yeah, totally, you know, so would I, yeah. And, um, that's why I think a lot of these like punks or whatever. <laughs> you know, a lot of people who are into punk music or whatever. Yeah, they're punks. Like, they have like this um, naive misconception that we live in a different world than we actually live in. Like they believe, I think that some people get confused with um, adult life and modern society. Still believing that we live in this like, you know, hunter-gatherer society where like, right. you know, you can, you... you Oh yeah, this guy's making money, so he's a sellout. You know what I mean? This guy's right. like actually being, you know, can support himself off of his creative output or his work in in the entertainment industry. So he's a sellout, and um, he put out a record on a major label. You know, meanwhile, um, how many times you know you and I both have extensive experience in major label? I'm um, not major labels. You and I have both extensive experience with independent labels. Yes, independently. So sure. How? <laughs> Yeah, have you ever gotten a, a an accounting statement from uh, an independent label, or you know, any kind of like royalty or anything like that, or you know, has anyone accounting statement? No. Yeah. Uh, royalties. Uh, yeah, one time in probably 1995 or 1996, uh, Brian Simmons, who runs Atomic Action Records out of Rhode Island, he put out a cable seven inch, and he. Uh, he gave us some royalties and took us to Guitar Center and bought us some cymbals and stuff like that. Now, this is a guy doing a label out of his bedroom. Yeah. And, you know, this is, you know, different world, different time, but like a very small operation. But, yeah. no, as far as the other labels I've ever worked with, and, you know, that's how that, we know, both know that's how that works, man. No, I've never gotten any royalties besides that one time. Yeah, you know, and I think that a lot of, a lot of these kind of like emotionally stunted people out there that want to hang on to these ideas. It's like, okay, great. If you just want to have your little band where you go out and play weekends, that's great. I, I love that. That's amazing for you. It's sure. great. If, but if you want to have any kind of aspiration and really going for it, you know, and, and that's what I mean of like not limiting yourself by fear or caring what other people think or whatever. It's like you have to come to grips with that. There's limitations to like the independent world of, you know, bedroom labels and all that sort of stuff. And if someone has an opportunity to do things on a higher level, then you can't, and you don't want to do that thing. That's great for you, but you can't judge that other person by your standards because you are too much of a fucking coward to like, 
to like really push it. I know it sounds extreme, but I, you know, I, I, I get out there you know, and you'll be getting it. You, we both get out there, man. And yeah, like, yeah. I tried. One of the things that sticks in my mind from, we did a tour last year and we played in New Orleans and we played at uh, like some, it was a DIY show. It was an off day on uh, this tour we were doing with Fit for an Autopsy and, um, you know, Brian from that, from Thou. If you, anyone out there, if you want to do anything in the state of Louisiana that involves playing a independent underground metal show, Brian Funk from Thou is the guy. Honest Brian. <laughs> you know, great dude. I've known him for, for a long time. He used to, he's booked my old band Anodyne in, in and around New Orleans. But I remember Brian, when Thou played, you know, they were like giving props to Tombs and like, you know, hey. You know, these guys are on, you know, on tour, so, you know, buy their new album or something like that, right? Right. So some fucking kid in the front, he's like, those guys should get real jobs, right? <laughs> and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, look, fucko, like, <laughs> you're about, you know, 30 seconds away from getting your fucking jaw broken. If I, was a, if I wasn't such a nice guy. Yeah, it's a good thing you are. And secondly, this is my real job, dude. It's like, what is your job? You work at a fucking vegan cafe or something? Right. Is that any better or worse than what I do for a living? You know, and it's just like, I thought everyone was supposed to, you know, in the punk underground world, everyone's supposed to be forward thinking and free spirited and let people do what they want to do. But if what I do for a living might be something that maybe you wanted to do, right. maybe you didn't have the talent to do or the drive, or you didn't have the courage to go out there and do it, don't knock me for having those attributes that you seem to fucking lack. And that's like a big part of our society, I think, that that is that is like celebrated. It's not so much that people are trying to elevate themselves. They want to detract. They want to diminish other people who are doing things that they can't do or they're too chicken shit to do. And that's why guys like Rollins and guys like Danzig get pulled down by the underman. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that statement. And, and you know, like the those two guys make up probably five of my favorite bands. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like uh and Dan, you know, Danzig too, his work ethic. He just rolled from Misfits, great band, obviously, legendary. Sam Hain. Not the same amount of output, but still my book, right oh, up yeah. just as good, if if not even better. And then Danzig, man. I mean, I stand by the first four Danzig records with the original lineup, especially the first two or three, man, are just amazing records. Like everyone's flipping out about this Misfits reunion, which honestly, I don't give a shit about. I, you know, I would go if someone fucking bought me a ticket and picked me up. But uh, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd rather see an original Danzig lineup with Biscuits and uh, John Christ and Erie Vaughn. I'd rather see that myself. Yeah. I, I think that. At th those guys' age and where I am in my life, that's a little more viable to me than a this incarnation of the misfits that's rolling out there. But hey, it's cool. I if that's if that's what they want to do. I'm not paying two hundred dollars to go see it, no. but it's cool. Well, that's that's what they want to do, man. They're still working. They're working. Well, somehow, you know, it's funny you mentioned Danzig versus the Misfits. It's like somehow I feel like a Danzig original lineup reunion would seem more relevant to me. Yeah, me too. You know, Definitely. A, you know, Danzig's still an operating entity, you know right? I mean, as a band, and having seen Danzig over the last few years, they still play songs from the first record. Yeah, you know, and yeah, and uh, I'm not. I, I don't dislike his current lineup, but that first, you know, John Christ, Eric Von, <sighs> Chuck Biscuits is like that's the jam. 
You know, definitely. I mean? Those man. are the best records, the best live like version of that band and all that. And uh, pretty much perfect. Yeah, I, actually, I'm in the middle of reading this book called "This Music Leaves Stains," which is a. I read um, it. I wasn't that. I'm not that into it, really. Yeah, it's. There's not much. I bought it because there's not much out there that yeah. covers this. But yeah, it's a little. It's kind of shoddy. I, I mean, respect to the dude who wrote it. However, the, in the preface, the kid states that he's like, I didn't even know that Glenn Danzig was in the Misfits. <laughs> yeah, remember that, that in the preface? Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. He's, he got into like the band. I mean, and look, man, I'm not trying to be an ageist or anything here, but I'm maybe I wouldn't have put that in the preface or something. I don't know. Like, it seems to me like I'm not. I mean, I wasn't around to see the Misfits either. But me neither. You know. I, but I also don't feel qualified to write a biography about them either. It seems kind of silly. Yeah. I mean. And I mean, hey, respect. There's a there is a void of of uh, printed material about Misfits and and Samhain. So great, but maybe uh, put out a revised edition, fill in some of the holes. I mean, you know, he didn't. There was no interviews with Glenn. There was no. Yeah. To me, honestly, it's like if I was going to write a book about the Misfits and I could not get Glenn Danzig, I'd probably abort the mission. Yeah, to be wise. Yeah, because yeah. it leaves a lot. You don't of want them. to talk to Michael Graves? I don't know who that is. Man. <laughs> Wasn't he in Mission Impossible or something like that? I don't know. He was in the Misfits when I seen him. Were... You, you saw one of those lineups? I When they did that first run, yeah, I went to one of those shows. It was fucking terrible. Huh. Yeah, uh, I, I was the, I was uh, the minority though because the group of people I went with loved it. I thought it was terrible. Were they like fourteen year old kids that you went with? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, they were younger than me, but no, it was. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't into it, man. I, I got. It was just. A, I got thrown out too. I had some drug dude. Like, oh really? Spilled the beer on me, so I fucking gave him a few kicks. And, nice. Yeah. Cool. But it sucked. I didn't miss nothing getting kicked out of there. That's for sure. So anyway, back to the Rollins band. Yeah, back. Okay. <laughs> well, they go hand well, in hand. You got to talk about the two. You know what I mean? Because I feel like, I mean, obviously some other guy out there considers Henry and, and Glenn Danzig of the same cloth because there's, there's those comics out there too. Yes. Probably, you know. I think those are more done and fun. Yeah, but you know what? But. I don't, I, I don't know, man. I like, um, it's done and fun. I don't really know. I, I immediately got turned off to it because it, it sort of awakens this kind of, um, you know, feeling in me of like, okay, here's a guy, probably got problems with his testosterone. You know what I mean? He's like, uh, you know, some wispy dude out there <laughs> who feels threatened by guys who are expressing the power of masculinity in their music and in the way they carry themselves. And this guy feels uncomfortable. So... His solution, rather than looking inward and going into a self-improvement mission, decides to diminish the two people that he feels threatened by. That's my take on it. Yeah. You, and, might, you might be totally yeah, right. You might be right. You know? And like, I mean, yeah, I have a sense of humor, man. So don't go out there and don't, you know, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. But there's a difference between having a sense of humor and then out and out just being insulting to people. You know what I mean? And like... Uh, you know, I, I personally found it a little bit of like this this thing of people being, oh, you know, if you like these guys, then you're some fucking weird closeted, you know, like oh, oh yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, because I guess there's that tone to yeah, the whole thing. But I'm just like, I don't think either one of those guys. I mean, I know Rollins doesn't have a problem with 
he's not homophobic at all, you know. And it's just like, and what what of it? What would have what would be so wrong if the two guys, those guys were were were, were lovers, you know? I don't, why would that be? Why would that diminish anything? And that's like another layer to my uh, criticism of the Henry and Glenn comic book series. You know, yeah, yeah you're kind of swaying me now. You know, I was, <laughs> I just always dismissed it, man. You know, I don't know. But in, in this climate of, of uh, where you can't say anything <laughs> were, anymore, were you triggered? I was. Well, <laughs> I was triggered. It's the same. It's the same as like how like like white women are like up in arms about stuff that they have know nothing about. <laughs> Where I feel like me as a as a straight male, I feel triggered on behalf of the gay population out there. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's so it's kind of that kind of thing, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> but hey, man, it's all good fun, you know. <laughs> I salute to you out there, whoever you whoever you are that made those books. It's not my cup of tea, but hey, who am I? What do I know? <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah, we'll we'll wrap up that. Uh. <laughs> That rant about <laughs> yeah. Henry Glenn. For some reason, those guys, hard workers are easy targets, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. If that's how you want to be. Can I get a little bit more of that? Yeah, man. Sure. <laughs> We're drinking some Savage Gold uh, Blue Monday right now. Yeah. We got to drink black coffee in honor of, uh, you know, talking about Rollins. You know, it must be done. So, yeah. The early lineup uh, released three records in 87 with that original rhythm section and then the heavy hitters come aboard with uh sim kane and andrew weiss filling out the rhythm section to record life the lifetime album uh which also says it was released in 1987 <laughs> but uh, the math isn't adding up for me but okay uh, if, if anyone can do it rollins can do it uh to me that's when it really starts to take shape. Yeah. The band just becomes the, those early releases are awesome. Hot Animal Machine's awesome. Drive by shooting's awesome. The live record with Gore is cool. Um, but Lifetime to me is just a cut above those early releases and uh that rhythm section is in my opinion underrated and one of the best of all time. Um and Lifetime is a masterpiece. Probably my favorite Rollins band record. With me, it's a toss-up toss between Lifetime and Hard Volume. And uh, those two are like... You could say those are one record. They kind of are. They could have been really. a double album. Yeah, it could have been a double album. But uh, I think um, Ian MacKay was the quote-unquote producer on, on Lifetime. Yes, absolutely. Which, and they had like this very austere uh, budget on that. So right. a lot of it was like Ian stepping in to sort of keep the band on point on budget so they can get everything done so as a result that record probably has like you know to me it sounds pretty tight but i'm sure there's things where i, I guarantee you like guys are like oh, i probably gonna hit that part better right as a result it has this very raw like like kind of punk feel to it there's know? been a couple uh reissues of that as well this was okay. a cd remaster reissue with bonus tracks that came out some years ago and just last, and last year, the year before, there's a, a vinyl reissue of Lifetime that's remastered, and uh, it definitely makes a difference. It sounds really? it sounds a little, little thicker. Huh? Yeah, it's it's uh, worth getting both of those things. Yeah, I probably should investigate that stuff just because I'm such a big fan. But typically, um, I always seem to eschew those all these this big catalog of reissues and stuff that seem to be happening. Well, a lot of them are probably unnecessary. Yeah. I think some are, some aren't. 
you know. Now a lot of these reissues are that done under the uh, the two thirteen um, imprint or or were they released by different? Because uh, I know Rollins. Good if you question. go to you go to his website, I know that. He's got a bunch of stuff like vinyl and re- remastered. I don't think vinyl. these had any. Yeah, I don't think they did have anything yeah. to do with these. Uh, I know, I know it didn't wasn't reissued on Discord, but I think Discord somehow had their hand. Maybe they have the distribution oh, deal with okay. them with Lifetime at least, because I think I maybe even bought my copy from the Discord uh, mail order. Um, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. Well, all these early Rollins bands records came out on that. Texas Hotel. Texas Hotel, yeah. Which, I mean, I don't even... Yeah. Who knows? Some obscure like, yeah. guy out there. If you uh, Wikipedia Texas Hotel, there's just not a lot of releases on that label besides the Rollins Band stuff. There was a couple others, and I forgot I forgot who they were. But, uh, yeah, so that label, I think, folded a long time ago. So I'll have to go look at... I don't even know. I have both those reissues, and I don't even know. Yeah. Um, I never really looked into Texas hotels as any other that it's back when I was getting into a lot of this stuff, it was like right before I really started identifying with record labels. I mean, maybe the first record labels I identified with was like SST and uh, discord, you know, but um, it was right before I was like, okay, cool. Amrep has this sound or whatever. Or right, whatever. right. Right. So like I would get records by bands just cause I liked the band or just, you know, Rollins cause I was like a huge black flag fan and i never really was like oh cool let me check out the rest of texas hotels catalog i don't think they had much of one i don't think i've ever owned another record that's not me either <laughs> i know i don't have anything in my collection that has any that yeah. doesn't have that label so on. uh well one interesting thing to mention that sim kane and uh andrew weiss uh were in gone um the yes. original lineup of gone which featured greg ginn um you know, Gone, actually, I mean, Greg has put together several different lineups of Gone, but the true sort of legit lineup of that band was uh, Greg Ginn, Sim Kane, and Andrew Weiss, and they released a record on um, on SST and toured with Black Flag. That was the final... The final tour. Black Flag tour, yeah. Yeah, so you can imagine that's, that's what, to me, like this version of the band has like connections to... SST and um, you know Black Flag, and right? That. There's right. Like this link together of the whole thing. Yeah, because I honestly don't know who uh, Mick Green and Bernie Wandell are. I mean, they did a, a fine job on on those early releases, Hot Animal Machine, but uh, yeah, with the Andrew Weiss, Sim Kane rhythm section, man, this, to me, when that band just became unstoppable. You imagine if like uh, one day you 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 go to like your favorite grocery store and. Um, you find out that the, the manager of your grocery store is one of those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's I often wonder about these like um, these guys who just show up and do these things and then disappear, man. And like, whatever happens to them? Well, our research department had an interesting fact that uh, the original bass player in those early releases, Bernie Wandell, he managed the the club, the Black Cat in mm. DC. Okay, yeah. For a long time, so. It's a little cooler, I guess, than a grocery store, but still, like, you know, sometimes these guys go on to just, you know, kind of fade away, no obscurity or whatever. Yeah. You can see how the lifestyle would crush someone, and, you know, even though you might be like, oh, yeah, man, I'll join the Rollins band for, you know, a couple <laughs> tours. Next next thing you know, you're like, you got nowhere to live, and, like, <laughs> you have no money. And then- when you're 71 days into the first tour, yeah. you're probably like, well, fuck, man. Yeah. You know? 
probably would, you know, break the, the will of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that right. Um, yeah, so the Lifetime album, that's essential. Uh, and then, you know, after that, um, went on to make Hard Volume, which, you know, could be Lifetime Part 2. Uh, but what made, set that record apart a bit was that was the first one, uh, their sound guy. Theo Van Rock <laughs> took over the production duties on that. Still on Texas Hotel, um, but yeah, the, those two records, man. That's those records are just pretty much perfect in my book. Yeah, and uh, the one thing just to give more credit to this uh, rhythm section was like you got to remember, like in that era, there's a lot of um, less technically gifted musicians operating in the same space as say the Rollins band you know what I mean and um you know Sim Kane brings this whole I mean Sim Kane his style of playing is was maybe 10 years ahead of its time in a lot of ways I think I think that right. what his style of drumming and, and Andrew Weiss's style of bass playing was like very much on par with what would happen maybe 10 years later in the mid 90s with some of these bands that we might have talked about in the last episode. Well, I think that's where the impetus of this idea came from, was I think we were talking about the noise rock stuff, and I mentioned, or one of us mentioned, yeah. that the Rollins band, a lot of that stuff was pretty noisy and off-kilter and yeah. odd-time signatures and, like, just ahead of its time. Yeah. You know? And I think that's kind of where this, this idea spawned from. But, yeah, I mean... Uh, and also, whole... what's, what was important to mention about this band, too, is that they... Though they did operate within the hardcore punk metal space, I guess, in some ways. I mean, there's that book called All Ages that came out a while back about the, the Anthrax Club. One yeah. of our favorite, you know, yes. childhood venues. Old Haunts. Old Haunts. And uh, and the Anthrax Club had a list of all of the shows that they ever booked. I, I imagine. I mean, it was like a several year rundown. Yeah, there might be a few holes, but still. Yeah, but it's a pretty much uh, very well painted picture of the types of shows they had there and if I, I remember being blown away by how many times the Rollins band played there did you ever like, see them there I never saw them at the me Anthrax. either man I wish I but had. there's some great videos on YouTube of them playing yeah. there like for me growing up in um, Carmel which is like in New York but just over the border um, getting to the I mean though the Anthrax Club wasn't that far away to a kid in high school with no car I had to coordinate every adventure out there with other yeah, people. Yeah. So it was like a lot. I, I didn't go there as much as I probably would have liked to have gone. But, you know, I, I didn't catch any of the Rollins shows there. I didn't either. But, you know, there's a band like that playing in the same space as like Adrenaline Overdose and, you know, Seizure and, and right. uh, Bold. Know, bold. You know. <laughs> Nothing against Bold, but yeah. like when you stack up the, the talent of like a band like the Rollins band with those guys and Bold, I mean, you know, once again, nothing against bold or, yeah. or simple hardcore bands in general. But, uh, I mean, uh, the Rollins band is operating on a whole different level musically. Yeah, Those guys just, are uh, amazing musicians. Yeah, you know, they were into probably like the Mahavishnu Orchestra <laughs> and, and right. Crimson. And right, trying right. Trying to apply that level of proficiency to hard rock slash metal slash hardcore punk music. Right. You know, and... And also taking a cue from the kind of more experimental stuff like the, like the early Swans and uh, yep. 
you know, like Neubauten and the birthday party. Because like, you can hear all that stuff well, in those early records, man. Since we're talking kind of about hard volume, man, the, my favorite song on hard volume is uh, Planet Joe. And the way that song starts, yeah. Swans, man. It totally sounds like Swans yeah. or Nubot. Yeah. Just that real pounding, repetitive, industrial, you know, like it's pretty heady stuff to be uh, occurring back then within like the punk hardcore scene. Totally. You know? Yeah. Turned Inside Out is probably my favorite song on that record. And um, once again, it's a just a dirgy, like right. very Swans sound, early Swans, like, you know, cop era. Yeah. Uh, down, just downer of a song. Right. You know? Right. Just, and, yeah, there's no good times, you know, I'm trying to say. No. Like, there's no, it's <laughs> no. not like listening to Dag Nasty or something like that. Right. It's like, there, and though I love Dag, early Dag Nasty. It's like, yeah, me too. There's no, but Dag Nasty and the Rollins band appeared on the same bill together. Like, not, I, I think it was a show at the Channel in Boston. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And, and it was like, they were apples and oranges in this other scene, and there was no scene for what they were doing, really. Right. They had to create right. their own hodgepodge of kids that were into like punk and hardcore and maybe you know some metal heads possibly or whatever yeah, like, yeah yeah just like these random outsiders that sort of were drawn to the band and i think a lot of if they had a different vocalist i think say like sim you know andrew weiss and and uh, chris haskett got together and they had a different singer they wouldn't be a, they would never appeal to like a hardcore audience really no well Andrew Weiss and Sim Kane played in early versions of Ween. Yeah. So there you go. Look, there it's go. apples and oranges, man. Yeah. You know? It's <laughs> two totally different things, you know, sonically. Do you, do you think people give the Rollins band the credit that it actually is due? No. Yeah, not even, cl so not even close. To me, I think people make fun of it more than they give it credit. Yeah. Because to me, like, like in, in, my, in my, like, you know, hierarchy of bands... You know, Rollins Band is, especially on these records, is right up there. Like, I mean, regardless of genre, I'm thinking of like Sabbath, you know, like Slayer, you know, the Swans, you know, uh, Rollins Band, Black Flag. Like, I, I put yeah, them in they, there. Me too. You know, it's like part of that, you know, sort of aggregation of like important shit that people don't even understand that they're appreciating the reach of that stuff in other music that they're listening to, you know? I, like you were saying, they wouldn't be the same band without Rollins as the vocalist. I think at the same time, that's why they don't get a lot of credit from people because Rollins was the vocalist. Yeah. You know? Uh, which is ridiculous, but, well, it's their fucking loss, man. You know? Now, running concurrent to all this and with, and starting with his uh, career as a singer of Black, Black Flag, Rollins is, you know, publishing books on his own small imprint and doing the fledgling versions of what would become probably what he's most known for is his marathon spoken word performances. Yep. You know, and, uh, you know, that was going all throughout him performing with the band, touring with them, and then he would embark on his own runs by himself, basically. Right. Once again, creating something that really wasn't there. It's like, you know... Being, I guess, inspired a little bit by Lenny Bruce because it wasn't comedy per se, but there was like funny parts, you know, in what he was doing. Maybe he started out, I guess, reading off of out of a book and not so much free forming. Right. Um, but it's 
once again, consistency and repetition, you know, leading that, starting there and leading to where he is now, where he's selling out these like massive yeah. arenas, you know, of people who just go to see the guy talk for like two hours. Yeah, back then he was doing like coffee houses and yeah. shit. You know, or, or Green like, Street Station out in Boston. You ever hear of that place? Yeah, yeah. I never been there, but I, I heard of it. Yeah. I've never actually seen a show there myself, but I remember when I was in college, I saw the, um, there was listings for it. Um, in the Boston Phoenix and there was always shows going on there that I wanted to go to, but, uh, I had no idea how to get there. It was like on the orange line, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I never went there either. I just heard of it. Yeah. And there was definitely old hardcore shows I wanted to go to there, but I, I didn't. Yeah. Like good friends of mine, like kids that I got to know later on, like Taz and, you know, Colin and those dudes, like they, they've been to shows at Green Street Station. Taz actually, though he's, Taz I think is like, Couple years younger than me, so he might might be about your age. He um, that's Taz Niles, the original uh, drummer in Anodyne, also uh, drummer in Eye for an Eye, drummer for La Gratona, and still active in music, doing projects with uh, Twenty Seven and you know other variety of you know Windmills by the Ocean with our mutual friend uh, Cliff. Cliff, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize he was in that. He guy. does that. Great drummer. Taz like was one of these like kids who at a young age grew up in Boston in the in the city, you know, and would venture out to all these places and see all these shows. And I think I think one time uh, Taz told me that he saw Sam Hain play at the uh, the YWCA in Cambridge or something like that. That's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he's been to Green Street Station, but I I had never been there. No, me neither. Never been there. Um, yeah, so, you know, that, that rhythm section came aboard made two pretty amazing albums. And then there was also uh, the Wartime EP. That happened around this era? Yes. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I guess just maybe after, 1990. Um, Wartime was basically Andrew Weiss's baby. Yeah. He wrote, recorded, composed all the music, and then brought in Rollins for all the vocals, lyrics, etc., um, that's a little more, I don't know, how would you describe wartime to somebody? They made one EP called Fast Food for Thought. Yeah, I have that EP. Yeah. And there was the, just a video that came out too, I remember. Yes. It was like yeah. 120 Which, minutes. I, yeah, yeah. I, I just watched it on YouTube. Yeah, it's, um, that's like kind of, um, very, listening now, it's, it sounds very dated, you know, it has like. Yeah, you said very 90s. Very earlier. 90s. Yeah. It's like, it has, uh, it's still, it's really good, but it's like almost taking a, a simplistic version of maybe no means no because it has a little bit of that like for lack of a better term like funk influence like i believe there's some bass there's some slaps on the yeah there is there is yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there is and and in the early 90s funk was not uh, a dirty word like people didn't make fun of bass players who slapped yeah, there was a window, yeah. man. There was, there, was a, a window. there was a window there, man. Like some bands that I uh, actually like, like there was some slap. It wasn't yeah. a lot of it, but it would sneak in there, totally. man. Yeah. You know, uh, pretty like on this wartime record, there was some bass slapping. Yeah, well, the Verbal Assault records, there was some uh, some little bit of bass slapping going on. It was kind of overlooked, you know? Yeah. And then there was bands back then I did it that I didn't like. Like, uh, remember Maelstrom from Boston? Yeah, They're like yeah, a I remember funk that. Metal. Funk metal. That was, a, that was yeah. the era of funk metal. I oh, yeah, was, man. Like, 24 7 spies um yeah yeah remember them uh sure. it was also like uh for example you get uh urban dance squad urban dance squad remember yep. them 
you would also have uh, the very beginnings of, um, well, this is probably a couple years later, but, oh, no, actually, this is right around that time, Living Color. Yep. Which featured Vernon Reed and Melvin Gibbs was in that band. I was going to... Who would later join the Rollins. You're jumping a bit ahead here. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, but he... <laughs> yeah. You know, so there, there was, like, funk, funky, funky rhythms were finding their way into hardcore music as well. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. You know, we weren't too far off on that. Uh, but, but now it's it's illegal to inject funk into your metal. Yeah, it should be. You know, I mean... I, I had its, its place. Pain, it's like, I don't know, man. I can't really get down with that now. I am unapologetically a fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, really? Dude, I... That's news to me. Yeah. You know, Even the vocals? Especially, especially <laughs> the vocals. Dude. Really? You know, everyone... It's I'm not going to call it a guilty pleasure because I don't believe in guilty pleasures. You either like something or you don't. You know I mean? Right, yeah, sure. You know, everyone could be like, well, you know, ironically, I like, no, fuck you and your irony. <laughs> I, I'm into it, man. I think that they're a great band. They're fucking sick musicians. I agree with you. I can't, but you know who we were talking about earlier? Like people at like Slag and Rollins and Danzig. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my mark, if I was going to uh-huh. spend a lot of time doing that, man, is Anthony Kiedis. That's cool. I get it. Uh, but I, know, I think, I, I agree with you. I think as a band, they're fucking all solid players. And uh, I actually downloaded years ago, did some illegal downloading. Yeah. For only time I've ever done it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, there was a version of uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic uh-huh. without the vocals. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you it, put your own vocals on top of that? <laughs> no, because it'd probably be even worse. But uh, uh, I did listen to it a time or two without the vocals, and I, you know, I enjoyed it more. I mean, it's not something I listened to a lot, but I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, that the vocals weren't on there, but hey, man, if that's if you're into it, that's cool. I like Anthony Kiedis. I mean, I think his vocals are cool. He's a great performer. Like you know, good front man. The dude's like almost sixty years old, and he's like fucking shredded. You know what I mean? It's like he's got like a twenty two year old girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> I back all that stuff, man. That's cool. You know, now that I'm fucking old, it's cool. You know, but the uh, but I mean, you know, I'm not gonna. Rollins Band and Chili Peppers tour together too. Yeah. Later on, so True. that's that's okay in my book too. They took Henry Rollins out with his band, so I'm cool with that. But um, I don't know how do we get on the Chili Peppers? We're talking about funk and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. The wartime record. So yeah, yeah, wartime. It's like uh, no means no. I also hear maybe inadvertently like a little bit of like a rape band vibe. Or I was gonna say lard. Yeah, lard. A little bit of industrial. Yeah, like industrial, 90s, industrial. 90s yeah. like uh, palehead. Palehead, like a Chicago yeah. sound sort yeah. of thing. The wax with, tracks. Yeah, wax tracks style. thing. Yeah. You know, there's there's there. I think there's some samples on there. I I came to find this uh, only recently. I would totally that would glossed over. I mean, they just did that one EP, went away. Did they ever tour? No, it's very obscure. It's, it's a, a studio project. project. Studio project. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of, you know, just came across that yeah. recently. But I thought it was interesting for sure. I really, I, I have a very vivid memory of finding out about it. I was um, back in the in the MTV era of like when people actually watched music videos. Is that how you found out about it, by I the did. music video? Absolutely, man. Remember I, those days? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> What the fuck ever happened to that? You know, I mean, I guess YouTube is that now. The computer, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I guess, like, I used to like those shows, like 120 Minutes. and Me um, too. And Headbangers Ball. Friday Night Videos. Oh, dude. It's, uh, also, the Night Flight shit on Yo, Oh, yeah, the Night Flight stuff you was know, great, too. What I, what I like about it is that it was curated by somebody that kind of knew what was up. You know what I mean? There was, like, um, you know, there was a host who... 
and I don't know if it really was like this. Maybe there was like a, a staff of like producers who put together <laughs> what they played. Right, right. But you had the the fantasy that you know, uh, what's her name, Kennedy, <laughs> was, <laughs> was digging in was the crates, compiling all these, you know. With her like her little sexy little glasses that she had, yeah, she was compiling, you know, this playlist of, of music. But and on some level, there was a curation going on where sure. you'd, you'd see like the Pixies and like you know whatever, Rollins Band, you know, sometimes would show up on there or that that uh, uh, wartime record. It, it was on 120 minutes, and I saw it, the video for the song. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's fucking Rollins. I go, that's Andrew White. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, cool. So then I went out and I found, I found the CD and I bought it. And it was like just yeah. on the strength of the video. Those days are pretty much gone. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and it's sad because I, I really, you would see a lot of cool stuff on there. Like the Meat Puppets had videos yeah. well, and uh, Sonic Youth and all that stuff. Two bands that I you know, went on to be big fans of. Uh, the first time I ever heard or seen anything by the Afghan Wigs. Oh, yeah. It was on 120 Minutes. Mm-hmm. It was a, a video off of the Gentleman album. Great record. Great record. And then uh, right after that, the next video was a song off the second Mark Lanigan solo record. Oh, yeah. And I you know, I knew about the Screaming Trees, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize you made solo records. So yeah. I went out the next day, and I bought Afghan Wigs Gentleman, and uh, I think it was Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. That's was a good the one. Yeah. Lanigan record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been, I've been fans of those since then. And they've oftentimes yeah. collaborated. Like in the yeah, gutter the, twins. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lanigan and, and yeah. Greg, Dooley Greg Dooley do stuff together. Yeah. You know, Twilight Singers and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, Absolutely. But the uh, you know Lanigan actually, I was he started doing solo records while he was in the Screaming Trees. Yeah. There yeah. Was he one, was doing those early. Yeah. The, the one that Sub Pop put out and uh, so Tad plays a lot of uh, on those records too, I believe. Maybe drums. Yeah, I think. Yep. Yeah, because Tad was a drummer, as we both learned. Yes. In the discography, the, discography, the, documentary. the documentary that's yeah. online. But, uh, but yeah, that's the hundred. That's how I found out about wartime. And then, now, as far as like the chronology, that came out, and then, then End of Silence came out after that. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's when yes. shit got real for Henry Rollins and his crew. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. Hard volume was eighty nine. The wartime record was ninety. So they're probably being compiled in around similar times or whatever. Well, I do remember. I remember seeing Rollins Band before uh, Heart um, and the Silence came out. Like when they were still touring, like like a, like a while before that album came out, hearing songs that would come out. Oh, okay. Out. So he was always like the band was working them out on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's something that don't happen a lot anymore either. I feel like, but no. that's a different topic for a different day. Um, you know, and there was the Turned On album, which is a live album. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. I don't um, forget that one. Yeah, uh, which was made up, I think, well, heavy on the hard volume lifetime material. Um, it's cool they did an album, live album. So, Another thing that never happens these days because no one can fucking play. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, what I'm trying to say. I mean, like someone. All right, for example. The Rollins band ended up being on a major label, okay? And a band on that stature these days, with maybe a few exceptions, the the kryptonite to that band would be a live album, in my opinion. Yeah. Like a band like Ghost, right? <laughs> definitely a lost art form. Yeah. Like, if you're going to listen to a Ghost live album, you're basically listening to the album. Because from my two cents, the one time I saw Ghost, the whole fucking performance was basically tracks with like live drums 
Was it really? It's dude. Did you see him open for Maiden? I saw him open for Maiden. I seen him open for Maiden too. Yeah. Is that why they sounded so perfect? Yes. Wow. And and that's, you know. Wait a minute now. Oh yeah. Break this down just a little bit for me. I know we're I know we're getting off topic yeah, here. Well, I mean, but I, I don't. I'm not a fan of Ghost. I tried listening to them. I like their first record, fine, but not, yeah, yeah, not so, really. Uh, you know, not not too down with what they're doing really to me it's like what are you saying though about the live performance you're saying saying that that the guitars and the bass is a recorded track and they're just kind of i feel like there's layers of pre-recorded music that include a lot of the vocals too to give it that effect to make it sound the way it sounds okay because when i heard when maiden came on right you know, you would think Maiden probably they Maiden was the band who probably had like the five hour sound check because it's their show, right? Right, everything perfect didn't sound perfect because it sounded like an awesome band ripping <laughs> ripping it live. Both times I seen Maiden at the same venue, they would they did not sound perfect. Either. They were awesome, yeah, but it, it didn't sound perfect. It sounded yeah, like a a live show. Like when Bruce Dickinson's singing, you can you can hear the proximity. You know, what I'm right. trying to say like you can hear the mic changing distance from his from his mouth when he jumps off the pyramid yeah when he jumps off the pyramid it changed his voice changes a little bit yeah 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 you can hear the effort from him right ghost did sound perfect oh, but yeah. I, ghost, I no 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 variation it sounded the effects were perfect everything was like right on point and the only reason why that happens is not because the guy's such a great singer or he's like such an intense performer it's because they're actually playing a wave file of his fucking voice and that's like Hey man, I, I don't have any proof. Just my proof is my my experience of the of that show and knowing what goes into playing live, and and then watching Iron Maiden completely destroy, right? And be like, wow, okay, they sounded like a live band. Like when you listen to like "Song Remains the Same" by Led Zeppelin, the record sounds different than the fucking recording, right? Yeah, that's what's cool about it. That's what's cool about it. You listen to the Sabbath live recordings, it sounds different. I know there's a lot of stories with a lot of these classic live records that stuff was uh, touched up after yeah, the fact. Yeah. Guitar, mistakes. But song remains the same. No way, man. Imagine, <laughs> yeah, it couldn't be. I mean, because the songs are different the way yeah. they play. Well, different tempos. Different and... tempos and also like the, um, they go off on these like, you know, Solo sections, the little jams. Yeah, jam. Maiden did the same thing. Yeah, all the solos yeah. in Maiden were extended. Man, everything was like extended. Everything was right, like right, right. The big endings and all that stuff. And Ghost was like, okay, here we go. Plus, plus play. And I did, that's the set. Now that you say that, I do remember like the transitions from the songs were kind of like too good. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Now you got me thinking. Yeah, I, I just to me that's not what I want out of music. That's not what I, I, I hope for when I go see a band live. You know, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy technology and music because, I mean, I love, you know, a band like, like Ministry, you know, great. But right. a lot of what Ministry does is like pre-recorded tracks too. But they're... Kind of a different animal. It's a different animal because yeah. they're an industrial band that's using technology to get their point across. It's not like a rock bass, two guitar, drums, bass, band. You know the whole I mean? fantasy of Ghost is that they're a 70s style band. They're a band, a hard rock band that's like kicking it live, you know what I mean? And that's not what you're getting with them. I like their first record too. I, I mean, I've heard stuff since then, and I don't really. It's kind of whatever. You know? There's a song on that new Ghost album that sounds like the Rollins band actually. It has like it starts like. Do you know what it's called? I don't know because I remember when the album came out, we were all hanging out over Rafe's house. We were watching, you know, getting ready to watch the fights, and he 
he was running that new album nonstop, side A, side B, side A, side B. And he's like, what do you, what do you think of this? I, go, I don't really like it. I just like that one song. It seems like that's their thing. That like the set they played was made up of like that one song because they probably have like four or five albums now. I assume, right? Who goes? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, their half hour or whatever they played was just like hit after hit. Yeah, and even though some of the songs I may have never heard, I felt like I heard them before. Yeah, you know I, what I mean? yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I don't, don't want to slam these guys. No, that's bad, cool. Man. Like it's just hey. not my thing. Dude, you know? slam away. Yeah, I, I, I it's your show. Yeah, I know, but still, I don't want to no, like. Once again, I don't want to diminish somebody's work, you know, because I don't like it or I don't agree with it. I just think like, whatever, do your thing. Great. But it's, this is my two cents on it. You know what I'm trying to say? They're, they're doing something right. You know, they're fucking huge. Yeah, they sure are. You know, and that's not to say I don't, I don't, I appreciate the theatrical element to what they do. I think that's really cool. It'd be cool if I played bass for them. It'd be a lot less work for me. They wouldn't know who you were because you have to wear one of those masks. But yeah, but you I could. Would, yeah, but I wouldn't have to play. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that'd be great. But uh, but yeah, the um, the live album. Any actually having live recordings out there with the Rollins band is a, a thing, really. Yeah, they do. They, they, got they a have. Bunch of live they records do. Out. They got uh, insert band here, which is one of the songs on our playlist. I'm pulling from that session. Okay, cool. You know, and then I didn't dip in any live versions of anything. There's some songs that only exist as live. Groups. That is true. Like, um, there's the cover of uh, of Earache My Eye. Yes. It's uh, only live. Do it. Right. There you go. That's by another live. Pink Fairies the right. cover. Right. Yeah. Right. But that's also another release, right? Do It is another live album. Do It's another live album. Right. Yep. Which is the one? I think Turned On. Is that just Tur- one track? Well, I. Like the, it, the, the digital. The research version? department, once again, <laughs> once again <laughs> came up with some information that. Uh, so the CD version is one track. Yeah, yeah. And I guess they broke it up for the vinyl. Sellouts. You Sellouts. Know, broke it up for yeah. the vinyl. <laughs> that in and of itself, I think, is fucking awesome, too. That yeah. That's like one track. Yeah, you just do, too. do it the whole yeah. time, you know, the whole way through. And it's great. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, so that brings us up to End of Silence, which was, you know... They're probably their album. a lot of people's introduction to yeah. the Rollins band and Henry Rollins. Definitely. Uh, fucking great album. Man. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, incredible album. And it's their breakthrough on Imago Records. Imago Records, you know, yeah. Big, big uh, subsidiary of Geffen, I think. Some one of them. One of those DGC uh, or some stuff like that. I mean, who knows? Also produced by uh, no, no More Theo Van Rock. They kind of stepped it up, or I don't know if stepped it up is the right word, but they went in a you know, bigger direction with Andy Wallace. Who yeah. Worked on Nirvana, Nevermind, Sepultura. Sepultura Rise, yeah. uh, South of Heaven and Rain and Blood. Yeah. Worked on all those records in different facets. Um, but, you know, big time producer and the record just sounds, sonically sounds huge. Yeah, it's a massive record. Huge. Like top of the line production. When the first note hits on that record, man, you fucking pay attention. And, and low self-opinion. Even the little shit stain with the cut off fucking jean jacket. <laughs> Drinking the Schlitz, who's like seventeen in some basement, like he pays attention to that too. Yeah, man. it's like, it's that kind of record. It's that kind of yeah, exactly. And um, you know that that song, a little bit of a groove to it. You know, yeah, for sure. A lot of groove on that record. A lot of man. groove on that record. 
And that was when you started seeing the Rollins Band performing at Lollapalooza and, yes. and opening for the Chili Peppers. Really getting out there. Getting out there, touring with the likes of the Beastie Boys and uh, Jane's Addiction and all those, you know, mm. icons of the 90s. Going back, you know, to something you said earlier, too, about the uh, indie to major label thing. Yeah. Like that, you know, that also comes with the territory, man. That was the heyday. It's of- called tour support. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is something that a lot of independent labels are, are dishing out. I, I read, I actually, Henry Rollins' podcast, he speaks about those early early years, and he said that what happened, the reason, one of the reasons why the band was able to tour so extensively was they signed a publishing deal, which um, allowed them, which gave them this fairly substantial advance of cash. And that funded a lot of that first year of just being on the road. Oh, like, okay. You know, everyone probably lived with their parents or their girlfriends or whatever. Right, like, right. <laughs> you know, like they didn't have any bills and they just, this is the money they used to kind of su- supplement whatever they were making on the road, which frankly probably wasn't much, you know what I mean? Right. At the beginning. We, we both know how that works. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then, um, but yeah, now it's with the major label backing, you know, the game gets stepped up. Now, this is like an interesting point in the career of the band, which I reflected on um is like though i consider the rollins band to be a successful like commercial band i think that they must have fallen short of the expectations of the labels you know what i mean yeah it was happening a lot around that time yeah it's like (laughs) i think that um you know yeah, it was cool. I guess it would have been great to be in the Rollins band and then go on tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Beastie Boys. And maybe the the move that the major labels were thinking was that, oh yeah, cool. We got this hot young artist. <laughs> <laughs> right. We they, put him out on the road with the Chili Peppers and all their you know, like hacky sack playing fans. And they'll become the next Become chili. like Rollins fans, right. right? Right. But clearly that wasn't really what was happening. It was like, you might grab like, the more like outsider realm, the fringes of those crowds. The fringe, right. But the actual kids who were into that shit weren't really into what the Rollins man was trying to sell, you know what I mean? No, no, man. It's too, it, you know, it's a, it's a thing that still rings true in society today, man. It's There's nothing easy about the Rollins band. No. Um, yeah, they had their singles and, uh, you know, they had the three and a half minute jams that maybe yeah. some people could get into. But you start digging a little deeper into all their records and the silence, no different. A major label comes out of the box with like three or four, you know, three and a half, four minute songs, verse, chorus, and then goes off the wall, man, with like 11 minute and 40 second versions of just like dirge, like noise weird howling vocals like you know just real uh, dissident kind of stuff you know it's a lot to digest for your average chili peppers fan no offense yeah no offense and you know beastie boys as well i mean i I think that's (laughs) right more even more so that's even more of a reach really i mean i mean yeah the beastie boys had their roots in punk and hardcore you know but but they're not famous for that yeah they're not famous for that they're famous for and this is another, this might even be another episode about them too, but it's like, I think that bands like the, the, the Beastie Boys and like Rage Against the Machine and all that, like they, though intellectually might have been reaching for loftier things, their fan base just never followed with them. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
you know, you, you know, I, you would go see like the Beastie Boys, or you'd go see the Chili Peppers, and like you know, you're into you're into bands like the Minutemen and like you know, Public Enemy, and right, you know, you're into you're into like uh, you know, Nick Cave and all these things, and then you go see these these fucking bands in like 1993, and they're just these jocks, man, like not. You know, like guys who would like probably roofy chicks and stuff were at those shows. It wasn't yeah, like a, kids from the punk scene or kids from like the, you know, metal scene. That's why I didn't go to a lot of those shows. Yeah, man. like you go, once it became this big thing. And the only reason I know that is because I've seen Rollins been open for like Jane's Addiction. I've seen him open for Chili Peppers. Right. You know, and it was like the crowd wasn't the same crowd. No way. When you go see him at the, like, the Anthrax Club or whatever. Or right. even, you know, even early, early Beastie Boys shows when. Before they were like massive, it was like more kids who were into like bands like Murphy's Law would be at the shows. My interesting side note, my first, I went to a bunch of punk shows, but my first concert was uh, Murphy's Law, Public Enemy, and the Beastie Boys. Oh, is that Licen- that tour? Licensed yeah. to Ill yep. Tour. That was my first exposure to like a big like concert environment, you know? A little bit more, sure. Um, and even that was kind of like culture shock. Yeah. To me, because I was just, you know, I had probably 10 shows, punk shows under my belt at that time. And I was like, whoa, man, there's a lot of guys here that look like the guys I hate and hate, that I go to school with. You know, like, why are they here? Like, why are they Why are they here? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's what was happening, I think, you know, once again, like, and we could do a whole other episode on the, the indie to major label jump. And that might right. be another topic down the line. But right. But that was kind of what was happening across the board, and a lot of a lot of these artists weren't able to to really catch on. You know, bands like the Chili Peppers were. You know, bands right. like um, you know Beastie Boys, Smashing Pumpkins, Smashing Pumpkins were, though debatably, they were never really part of like any underground. Yeah, thing, yeah really. good point. You know, but huh. but I do remember like even um, maybe around this time, um, I lived in Bellingham, Washington for a while, and. Uh, you know, shout out to anyone listening who lives in Bellingham. <laughs> I um I lived there for a while and I caught uh, the Screaming Trees play at this place called the Three B Tavern, which I don't even know if it exists anymore. It was like, uh, you know, maybe like a hundred people, maybe a hundred people. Wow. Now at this point, I mean, a lot of people don't know they had like four records. Yeah, before before they got signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, that, and that's how I, I got. I was familiar with them because of being such a huge SST head. You know, even with and especially even when oh, whatever Magic Lantern. That's another great record by them for back then. And um, I saw I saw the Screaming Trees there, and it was awesome. Just like fucking loud guitars and like you could barely hear the vocals. And right. It's just like this onslaught of like. <laughs> awesome fucking garage based crazy shit you know right. real noisy and and then like when a, a couple of years later or maybe even later that year when i moved back to boston to the boston area after college you know i moved back to boston i saw the screaming trees and this and they were riding the wave of like the major label onslaught of like money and promotion and all that stuff and they played at this place called avalon Oh yeah, and it was uh, Screaming Trees headlining, and then a bunch of other like up and coming second and third wave like grunge bands, like you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know the type of bands you're talking about. Yeah, like they're so good, their names uh, escape me. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, and but they were playing, and there was literally 800 to a thousand people at the show. Okay, and but it was like 800 kids that maybe. 
just found out about them. And that's not bad in and of itself, but they weren't on the, the, the wavelength. Like, they weren't on, like... Right. They weren't getting what they were actually seeing. They were like, oh, cool, I read about this and whatever. It wasn't 800 of the the people, like the 10 people that were at the show you went to the year before. Yeah. It wasn't 800 people like that. It was like a totally not, different crowd. I'm not trying to be like an elitist about it because the reason why there aren't 800 of those people is because there aren't 800 people. <laughs> That's fair. Say, yeah. Like, I'm not trying to be an elitist. I'm not trying to say that like, oh, well, you know, I don't like them now because now people that like, you know, converge are listening to them or something like that. You right. know, it's like, I'm into it because I like it and it's cool that other people are into it, but you have to understand that it's a different thing at that point. Right. It's not the same thing that you saw in front of a hundred people. And like I said, a band like Screaming Trees, like maybe, or specifically Mark Lanigan was able to make a transition into being like a bigger audience guy, you know, yeah. a guy who can make, create music that, you know, is, is authentic and still reaches other people, you know? But I just think that, like, going back, tying that back to the Rollins Band, I think that the Rollins Band is a band that only works in front of, like, maybe five or 600 people. Yeah. Like, the Rollins Band was never going to be, like, a 2,500 capacity band. Not safe enough, man. Yeah, dude. And it's, like, and that's kind of, like, um, what was expected of them to become, I think. And, And that was the flaw in this whole idea of like promoting them as a major label you know act i think yeah yeah i mean that they you know they tried with so many bands from that era i mean and who knows i don't know i never looked up with the end of silence sold and you know what makes a success sales wise on an indie is a flop on a major yeah you know, like exactly. jay J robbins from Jawbox. Sure. Uh, something to the effect though i'm not gonna get the numbers right you know when they put out Jawbox records on discord and they sold you know 30,000 copies of a record. Yeah. That's a that's a massive success. Massive. But when they shift over to Atlantic, put out uh, For Your Own Special Sweetheart and sell 250,000 copies, it's like, you know, quadrupling the amount they sell, but that's a failure. Yeah. Because they didn't sell a million. Yep. It's so, gold or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, it's the way it's business, man. It's the way that business works. And that, and that was kind of like, you know, the... The, ide- the idealism of being an independent artist and thinking, like, oh, wow, well, the majors are different now. You know, and then the major labels changing their expectations, too, based on the success of, like, pop music in the 80s. Because back in the 70s, it seemed like, like a band like Thin Lizzy back in the 1970s was not selling the numbers that, like, Debbie Gibson was selling in no, the 80s. You no. know what I mean? No. Yet, they were able to exist... On, on like a, a, a major label and do big, you know, do relatively big business while only selling to, you know, like a, a fraction of what a big breakthrough star would sell. Right, right. You know, Mountain, you know, Leslie West. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. they were, you know, they operated on major labels, but they were not like... They weren't filling stadiums. They weren't filling stadiums, you know. No. But, but that model changed. And that's why like, you know, that malaise, that like mid-90s malaise of like small independent bands giving an opportunity and then failing and then being stuck in this like legal thing became like this death knell to you know independent music or whatever on a larger playing field right you know i think that that's you know the the sort of thing that happened to the rollins band i think that maybe 
had they not signed to like a Mago and maybe try to work things out with like a quarter stick or something like that, or, you know, or a touch and go, they might've had a longer career. Maybe. Yeah, probably. Um, cause they, uh, turned on the live album that did come out on quarter stick. Yeah. So they did have a relationship with, you know, a label like that, which I'm glad, I'm sure that label would have taken on them a studio album from them at that point. But you know, it's, I mean, most bands put in that position, are going to make the same decision, you know? Yeah, yeah, without, you know, really having any precedent after, you know, to go on before that. But uh, but that, you know, that's like kind of like, that, what came out, I'm not sure, I mean, I'm making it sound like the, the, the career ended for them at that point, but it really did. <laughs> well, mean, it, was a, it was an interesting shift, for sure. Uh, one more note on Into Silence before we move away from that is, uh, you know, anyone who's a, f a fan of End of Silence um, who doesn't already know about the End of Silence demos. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a, a release that Rollins did on the 213.61 label. Um, I think you can still get vinyl and CD Probably, from, yeah. from his site. There's a great double CD of, like, full demos from the End of Silence and then some live stuff and some other kind of weird jams on there. And those, those versions are, are equally as lethal Oh yeah, a little more lo-fi. Sure, you know they're demos, but they're not. They, they're those demos could have easily been an acceptable album. Oh yeah, big time. Um, and you know it's definitely where if you're a hardcore fan of that stuff like we are, it's definitely something you're gonna want to check out if you haven't already. Yeah, I think it was recorded on like a 16 track one inch. Yeah. Setup, so it's like super stripped down versions of the songs. Yeah, it's cool that that, that exists. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> um. So yeah, so that yeah, so after the end of Silence era of the band is where things start to like fracture, yeah. And uh, Andrew Weiss leaves as the bass player. Um, Some real schism between the two, it seems. Yeah, I, I never I really, don't really know the story either. No, no, but <laughs> definitely seemed like there was some for yeah. sure. Um, and then they, you know, he leaves the band and they reemerge with uh, the Weight album. Came out in '94 on uh, Imago Records again, with Theo Van Rock back in the picture, back in the south as the producer, and Melvin Gibbs on bass. Um, Pretty monster bass player. Monster bass player, Berkeley grad. Yep. Uh, jazz roots played with John Zorn, Vernon Reed, Living Color, Bill Frizzell, that kind of guy. Yeah. You know, no, no, no joke there. Yeah. Uh, to a different animal. A completely different animal. Not Andrew Weiss. Not the same bass sound. Not the same bass tone. Um, but the weight record. I'm a fan of the weight record. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, a little bit of a step back from End of Silence. Maybe, maybe more than a little bit of a step back, but still holds its own. Um, but probably produced their biggest single. And yeah. The liar single. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like that to me was like that record when I remember when it came out, I was I was stoked I got it, you know, I was really excited about it looked like a forty five pound, you know, weight, you know, pl plate. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. That was like exciting to me, you know. Uh, but the I'm sorry, dude. But the um the music on there felt like, okay, cool. Like, you know, we got we're gonna we're trying to make a little bit of money here, you know. And wasn't as hard hitting. Wasn't as hard hitting, and the single, what you know, the liar single, was, you know, I don't know, like, 
I know it's like it probably his. That's what people mostly know him for. Right. But it had a cynical twist to it, which I was like, did, I kind of didn't like it really. You know what I mean? I didn't really like it either. It I mean, although like I like the album, I didn't really care for the that the track. It's not one of my favorites. No. On the album. And uh, you know, but that became like you know the calling card for the band, and coincidentally, probably started alienating a lot of their like core fans. Yeah, I would know? think so. Because once uh, again, you get you get these kids showing up who are like, they got like the jester hats on and like the you know my favorite kind of kids. Yeah, like like the nineteen nineties <laughs> like festival goers. You yeah, I think I mean? they still exist though. Yeah, uh, they're probably don't like, sell oh, them short. Wired, yeah, you know, and like they don't know anything about Black Flag or whatever. But no, 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 going to all like Lollapalooza and all these other. You know, I believe that liar was also uh, one of those videos that uh, was on Beavis and Butthead. Oh yeah, yep, that it was. like you know the. They had some great. They had crowbar was on yes. and Bloodhead, and also Tad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they they always selected. I think Morbid Angel was on there. <laughs> so there was always cool music on Beavis and Bloodhead, but they were oftentimes the ridicule of. Uh, well, right, right, yeah. right, right. You know, reflecting the the consensus of your average MTV viewer, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. So that's when, yeah, Rollins at this point was a full, full blown MTV, you know, like rotation, you know, and it probably was a little alienating. And I think that was when my fascination with the band started waning a little bit was during this era. Same here. You know, although there are, I mean, like uh, the song Volume Four, the song Disconnect, I think yeah, there was it's a, a great song. Though. Yeah, I think yeah. those are great songs, but, uh, I don't know, beginning of the end is the wrong way to phrase it, but that's how I'm going to phrase it. Yeah. For my interest. And then uh, after that was Come In and Go Again, which... Or Come In and Burn. Come In and Burn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm mixing up the titles here. Uh, DreamWorks Records, which was a subsidiary of another major. Um, I believe... They put it, like, into another... There's a couple of things on DreamWorks. Some other kind of stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I can't comment too heavily on this record because I don't I don't know much about it, man. I've there's, gave it a few no spins. Hits on it. I have it. Yeah, I listened to it twice, maybe. <laughs> right. Uh, nothing that left a a mark with me. It was produced by Steve Thompson, who uh, his his uh, note he mixed Appetite for Destruction. I guess that was his. Uh, Claim to fame, whatever. You know, it sounds like a slick, big budget record. Yeah. Not a lot of attitude. No. Uh, disappointing. Side note is that, uh, and I gleaned this information off of the Rollins uh, podcast, <laughs> was that they were in the middle of, Henry Rollins was living in New York City at this time. The band was based in Newark, New Jersey, and they were practicing in the city in one of those, like, you know, numerous uh, West Side rehearsal studios. Yep. Maybe the the music building on like Twenty Sixth Street or whatever, um, and they were embroiled in this legal battle with Imago Records. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so there was like um, a distraction going on during the writing of this record, apparently, according to Henry. And, okay, uh, and that was. Um, I urge any of you out there who are still listening, <laughs> who are fans of the Rollins band, fans of Henry Rollins, to go and check out his podcast. They It doesn't come out very often. It's not very regular. It's not um, on any kind of schedule. But he goes into a lot of this stuff, and it's I find it interesting because it gives you an insight into all kinds of little behind-the-scenes things. You know, like, I guess, um, wait... Uh, 
the, the single off of Wait um, Liar won like an award or something. He talks about accepting an award, <laughs> you know, whatever. But yeah, it's like all this stuff is like I feel like the slow slide, the decline of interest, because this the maybe the creative spark might have been being going out with the the primary writers really, which were you know Sim, Sim Kane and and you know. Uh, the band itself was right, probably the, starting the to... the core. Yeah, band. we're probably starting to think about what their next move is going to be at this point. And so Coming in and Burn was the last record Yeah, with that lineup. Um, yeah, so at, you know, after that was the... That, that lineup dissolved, and then the Mother Superior lineup took form. That was... Uh, I remember I was living in Boston at the time, and I read this blurb that Henry Rollins was reforming um, the band with, and it's going to be a more stripped down Stooges rock and roll, hard rock version. Right. You know, and he described it as extremely hard rock. And I was like, sounds cool. Right? Sure. Yeah. On paper. Yeah. So they played at the Paradise in Boston, which is like a venue there. And um, of course I went. At the time, I knew people there that, uh, I mean, I would have gladly bought a ticket, but I also knew people that worked at the venue that were able to guest list me for the show. So I went. I was like very, very, very disappointed by what I saw. And um, it kind of turned me off to the whole idea of like a post-Sim Kane, Chris Haskett version of the band. And... Um, yeah, it was like the dude, the guitar player had like this really long goatee and like a black leather cowboy hat, and I was like, "This is not the Rollins band." Right, like, right. I, the no connection. Yeah, you could make no connection to what the Rollins. No. Besides Rollins, obviously, yeah. like, yeah. And once again, in his podcast, he just he addresses like he backs that band. It's like this band called Mother Superior, which existed yeah. prior. San Francisco guys, right? I, I'm not. I'm not clear. I about think. That, possibly, I think. Yeah. But, you know, it was this, a band that he liked that he was going to produce, you know, act as producer and kind of help them out with their career. And apparently they're really hardworking guys, which is important. And he decided that it started out with this thing of like, hey, you guys want to work on some songs together. Right. And then he marketed it as the Rollins Band, which some people actually took offense to, like ex-members, were like, hey. You know, do you think to ask us first before you went ahead and used well, the name? Because even though it was the Rollins band, uh, to my knowledge, he was not very involved in writing any of his, no, the music. Exactly. So yeah. I could see I could see their point. I think know? that's a very valid point. You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe it could have been Henry Rollins and Mother Superior, or right. You know, Mother Superior featuring Henry Rollins. Or, R- right, right, you know, right. How there was like that Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. By the way, that I own the Iomi solo record, very hard to find. The one just Iomi. Yeah, Rollins is on that. That's right, he is on that. Yeah, I think it's on Apple Music or I, look, iTunes. I, I think. For it. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so that led to um, a slew of records, which at the time I did not really like. Uh, yeah, get get some go again. Was the first album with Mother Superior, right? And then there was one after that called Nice. Yeah, I believe, and that was curtains for the Rollins band after after those two. Yeah, they had some other stuff too, like Yellow or another shade of Yellow or whatever. I don't know. Like I, I kind of lost touch with you. Subsequently, I revisited some of that material with an open mind. 
like years later, like years later. Yeah, it still didn't do it. Did and it? you know, it, it's not bad. It's not something that I would really like. I would listen to it because I'm like, oh, cool. I'm gonna listen to like the later era stuff, right? You know, but it's not like the same feeling there as it no. was in the beginning. You know, and you know, and whatever, man. I that the one thing that that lineup did that was cool was they had that West Memphis Three. Um, yes, like black flag what? cover set tour that they did right and that was sick that was i, I, mean, saw I, two mean, I missed that but i know a lot of people have seen it and they said it was great it was really worth going to see man it was um i saw the new york show at Irving plaza and i saw the boston show at one of the venues up there i think you know axis it used to be called i don't actually i don't even remember the name i think that's where it was yeah. i think i remember it being there and um it was like that Mother Superior lineup, Henry Rollins doing all Black Flag covers. Keith Morris started the shows I saw. Right. Keith Morris came out and started the set. And this was before Keith was involved with Off. Right. And Rollins came out, banged out the rest of the set. Depending on what city you were in, you had, you know, superstars showing up. And Dukowski show up a few times. Dukowski showed up in some of the you know shows around L.A. I guess. Yeah. And. Uh, it was just a fun time, man. It was just like a very, um, you know, intense thing because I'd never seen, you know, those songs performed. Yeah, I kicked myself in the ass for not going to that. It was, that was fun. a mistake. Fun time. It's and fun. then to wrap everything up, there was one final tour that Rollins did with almost the original lineup. 2006. 2006. <laughs> that was the tour with the L.A. Legendary band X. Yes. Um, and I did not go to that either. Yeah. But I heard it was pretty awesome. Um, but after the tour, I guess there was some conflict about wanting to work on new material, not yeah. wanting to new, uh, work on new material. And I think you, you feel the same way about a lot of the reunion type stuff. Like, it's not, if you're not going to put out something new, you're not going to be a working band that's going to create, it's not, not real viable. And yeah, I think, yeah. Rollins felt the same way, and I believe you know that's that's kind of why it ended. But I've also heard recent interviews with Rollins where he said he woke up one day and had no more lyrics to write, Fair and he just said, "I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore." So, yeah, there was that. I think they did that one tour in 2006 yeah. with uh, the, Melvin Gibbs on bass. Yeah, Melvin Gibbs. So yeah. it was the the weight the weight lineup. lineup. Yeah. Um, isn't there also speaking of wait going back to that real quick? Isn't there also a uh, a demos kind of version of that called Waiting? Probably, yeah. I I don't. I'd have to look. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that might be available on Rollins' site too. Yeah. Definitely, anyone out there who's a fan, definitely check out Rollins' site because yeah, got, yeah. You know, it's it's either henryrollins.com or two thirty one two thirteen sixty one dot com, uh, and you can all all this stuff's there. Usually at a very very reasonable price. Yes, absolutely. And there's yeah. cool stuff there all the time, man. There's like the new, new version of Get in the Van. And yep. he made, there's some cool Get in the Van shirts. Um, you know, the classic Rollins shirts, his music. There's all kind of books, spoken obviously. Word. Yeah, man. Live it's, stuff like that, live spoken word. You know, it's like a great site to check it out, you know. And I saw that last tour with X. And X is another band that I love. Me too. But I kind of lost interest in seeing them live because they play the same set almost every single time. But there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I love X too, but I, don't, I, I honestly don't know when the last time they made a new record is. I'm going to yeah, say it was 20 years ago. Maybe I'm least, wrong. Man, like it's been um, a long time. Yeah, uh, 
great band though. I like X. Yeah, they're like a legacy band right now, and and I mean I like John Doe, and you know I like a lot of bands from that era, like the Flesh Eaters, yeah, Flesh Eaters, the Eaters are cool. and all that sort of stuff. But um, but yeah, that was where there was that a very important point for Rollins' band where it's like, okay, do we do like you were saying, new material, or are we just a legacy band? And right. I think I applaud them for not becoming a legacy band. Yeah, you know, just do sure. rehashing. That show was great. It was uh, excellent seeing them perform, but I knew it was the end, man. And one thing, because it was like 2006, where, you know, everyone's kind of getting a little bit older, you know, this is like 10, like 11 years, 12 years ago at this point. And I remember when, it, when, when I realized it was over was when I didn't feel threatened at the show. You know I mean? <laughs> it was too safe. It was very safe. There was like a bunch of 40 year old guys like in the pit in the front. And I remember specifically a moment when one dude dropped his Blackberry out of his pants when he was like moshing. And I was like, man, it's over, man. This is like the end. No one's, I don't feel like some dude, some skinhead's going to punch me in the face or like I'm going to get like knocked over or anything like that. Or like I was in danger of getting beat up after the show. Like that, that was like when I truly realized that this cannot go on anymore. Right. You know, and I was like, okay. I'm at yeah. peace with it, you know? Because that's one of those, like the Rollins band, Black Flag, that kind of stuff. That's one of the shows where you kind of, you want there to be that tension in the air. Yeah, like, totally. You know, not every show I go to, I'm not looking for that. No. You know, man? I went to see like a Norwegian folk band, Wardruna, at a yeah. nice seated theater. And I certainly don't want like some skinhead to start like punching <laughs> someone. Yeah. You know, I'm just hanging out. But like, you know, there's something, people who came up through this stuff like we did know, like there's a certain energy I Hate God used to be like that. Absolutely. Like back, they're not like Absolutely. that anymore. I almost got killed by it. Oh, yeah. Thing. I Hate God's not like, the, the show, the band is amazing, but yes. the shows are not like that anymore. No, they're not. They're not sketchy. There isn't like some, Too many cool guys there yeah, now. Yeah, man, totally. It isn't like, like back in the 90s seeing I Hate God was like, yeah, there might be some like white power dude there or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some There's questionable, like questionable weirdos <laughs> there, like some Gigi Allen style people there. I almost caught a Snapple bottle in the, in the head at a at a high rate of speed from Mike Williams at the first time I ever seen I Hate God. Like you know, you never knew what was gonna happen yeah. at those shows back then. I mean, I just missed taking one, and then he went down like a sack of rocks. He was high as fuck on something. He just went behind the guitar and had been dropped. Yeah, and they played for like thirty minutes of just like dirge feedback. It was fucking awesome. I mean, I, if I got hit with the bottle, it might not have been so you'd awesome. Have a different take on it, I think. <laughs> yeah, but but, um, but still. But I hate God is definitely a disciple of like that whole this whole Black Flag. Like absolutely, like, if you man. experience them live, man. It's just like that's the next step. I think that would have been like what you do after you're into Black Flag as a band. Like I hate God, you know. Right. What I mean? If you're going to talk to Jimmy Bauer, if my hate God, or Mike Williams, or whatever, I guarantee you those guys are going to reference my war yeah. Oh, yeah, as one of the biggest influences for I Hate God. And I guarantee you a lot of bands that these dopey little turds that like make fun of Rollins, they'll, they'll cite you know the bands that they love were influenced by my war too. It's just undeniable, man. It's undeniable what the guy has brought to the table and the work ethic going back to Black Flag. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, for those people out there, it's like, hey, do me a favor. Try it. Instead of, like, sitting on the couch and playing with your phone and, like, going on Instagram and making cute neat memes about everything or, you know, you and your little buddies getting together at Starbucks or whatever, 
try doing this, okay? And then check back with me in, in a year and let me know what you think again. And I'll, you know, then we can have, we can have a conversation. Yeah. You know, that's all I got to say about it. Yeah, or, or, you know, someone who feels really strongly the, the other way than we feel. You know, feel free to, like, uh, message us or... Uh, <laughs> Send an email with like you know your your synopsis yeah. of, of why uh, Rollins is a guy who deserves to be fucked on and made fun of, you know. I I I'd love to hear like an actual real opinion, and you know don't message me like you're some jerk off opinion like oh he sucks whatever you know. But if someone actually has like a take of why they feel that way about that guy, I, I'd love to know it. Yeah, you know, maybe we're missing the point. Maybe we're we're wrong. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not email. Most me. likely, I'm not wrong about this. <laughs> but there's a possibility that I might be able to open my mind to a different opinion. And that's, um, you know, I either way, I'm always someone who welcomes discussion about these topics. So right. So there you go. T- once again, tying it back to the title of this whole show: topic, topic. Once again, title. And you know, feel from the last time we did this, the Amrap episode, real quick. You know, I I know. Steve Austin in today's the day operated out of Nashville, Tennessee, not Memphis, Tennessee. I had a brain freeze. Uh, is, I know, but whoever corrected me, I appreciate it. Thank you for doing yeah, so. Yeah, man. And, and you got to realize too, we're a lot of this. This is like very little editing goes into this because I feel like it's not that kind of show. This is the kind of show where your two guys are just free, you know, free form, going for it, and like occasionally some wrong stuff gets out there and. I'm neither one of us are above correct being corrected if we're nope. wrong. You know, if I'm wrong, I wholeheartedly admit to it. And same thing with Randy. But we're not getting paid for this. Yeah. So, you know, so fuck it's like, off. Yeah. <laughs> but still, in all, you know, it's like feel free to yeah, comment. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for listening. And, um, you know, like I said, we'll be, uh, you know, we'll be announcing some, some short tour dates coming up soon with the band Tombs. And, um, yeah, if you guys uh, are out there and you enjoyed this, uh, share it on your social media or give us a review on iTunes. All that stuff helps. So have a great evening and the rest of your week. I've got a weakness knee. I've got a thoughtless mind. I've got a needless one. I can't unwind.